Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined this week by Jason Fitzgerald on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, proprietor of, I would say, one of the best resources out there for cap-minded NFL fans, uh, overthecap.com. And don't 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 go to those other guys. You may know about some other guys. Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Just just go just go to, to overthecap.com. We won't we won't mention any any names of anyone else there. And he also hosts. And I was just mentioning this to Jason before we before we jumped on uh, my my weekend really podcast listening most of the time because it comes out on on Fridays. That's his own over the cap podcast. And I'm really enjoying the fact that you've dedicated yourself because I know you're you work a normal job. You've dedicated yourself this this year for the last several months to doing that on pretty much on a weekly basis. So thank you so much, Jason, for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Yeah. So let's let's get into I want to I want to talk with you because I know you are a long suffering uh, Jets fan and the Jets for not not surprisingly uh bad reasons have been in in the news a little bit recently i mean obviously we have coming off of last week the 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 victory i was about to say the loss to the rams but a loss is a victory is <laughs> is is a loss in their circumstance i know you watch the games cuz i see you tweeting out your your frustrations during the game so you probably know what's going on with the jets better than anyone so from from a high level here uh, let's just assume that the number one pick is off is off the table. What what is your opinion on how dire of a situation that is not having that number one pick? I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, I, I'm not going to change course at all. Uh, you need a quarterback. I, I can't see any way that you go into this next year and say you know, we're locked into Sam Darnold for the next two years. Because if you if you don't take a quarterback, if you take a right tackle or you take a defensive end or something like that you basically are saying, well, we're going to not only have Sam Darnold next year, but we're going to buy that option and we're going to have him for the year after that as well. And you're pretty much going nowhere. So yeah, it, it stinks as a fan to not get that number one pick, you know, the, all the seasons, the jets have been bad. You haven't had that opportunity. You know, you come away with like Keyshawn Johnson years ago, or, you know, some other players where you traded out of that pick, but you still, you need a quarterback and it's a quarter, it's a quarterback draft from what people tell me um, that you're looking at three, top quarterbacks pretty much going, I guess, top five or so. So yeah, you lose that guy that that they say is a surefire bet, but you need a quarterback. And if it's a quarterback heavy draft, I just don't see how that changes anything for the team. Um, Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I'm, I've been surprised and you've probably been surprised. I noticed you you put out a, a, the highly scientific Twitter poll uh, about yeah, what the <laughs> about what the jets about what the jets did. nothing it's the highest rigor of of uh, <laughs> peer review on that um, and I believe only well two of the, two two of there were three choices two of them were kind of similar because I think two of them were not drafting a quarterback and I think the one that was was taking a quarterback was only thirty something percent now I'm shocked when I see stuff like that although I've heard people on I mean you know, like the Cal- Colin Coward and of the world, you know, that, that aside, but he was, he spoke with Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson said, I, I probably would not take a quarterback at, at number two there because of, because of what he's seeing. And, and that seems to be building up a lot of momentum. I agree with you that this draft looks like it has quarterbacks, right? So fields is number two, I think on our big board, uh, Zach Wilson's number three. If you, even if you look at like Mel Kuyper, who supposedly should have his finger on the pulse of what's going on, Fields is number three on his big board. Uh, Dane Brugler over the, at, at the Athletic, I think he's number two there. 
So this seems to be more about people's opinion of Sam Darnold in a way than their opinion of Fields. And I just don't. I, I guess get. partially. I mean, people are still there's still a subset of the Jets population, the fan base, whatever limited fan base that's left um, that still believes in Darnold. I, I think that the, the reaction that was there, especially because when I put that out there was on a uh, it was right after the game. And e- even now, you know, early in the week, I think people are just hurt. You know, you, you've had all this time. Once the Jets were like 0-6 and, and it all just became this, you know, tank for Trevor kind of bit. Um, I think people were so tuned in on that and they've bought in so much to the fact that this is the next generational quarterback that you just feel every everyone else is just not worth it. And it, it's kind of weird because a couple of years ago, you know, Mike McCagden makes a just a blind trade up to basically get to almost the same spot the Jets are in now. And people were praising him like, oh, this is great. We're going to get a quarterback. You didn't even know who you were getting. I mean, at the time, most people thought it probably would have been Josh Allen that would have gone to the Jets at that point. And I think people would have been disappointed then, you know, maybe not now, but at that time, people would have been maybe a little bit disappointed that Josh Allen would have been the guy that ended up being selected. But I, I think it's just that, everyone was so on, on this train that they, they were getting the next Peyton Manning, the next whatever, and you're not going to get that anymore. So it, it's like you're going back to the, you know, the, the typical kind of 50, 50 or 60, 40, whatever, whatever that proposition is for getting that highly drafted quarterback that he's going to work out and help your franchise. Um, you know, I'd like to talk people off the ledge on it. I, I mean, yeah, there's Peyton Manning since then. I mean, who are your best quarterbacks? You know, Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes, you know, none of those guys are the top pick in the draft. And if you look at a lot of the drafts, it, you find plenty of good players, you know, number three, number four, number 10, you know, all, all in that range. So, yeah, it, is it a little bit harder? It's not as safe maybe, but you're going to find a good player. You hope you're going to find a good player at least. Um, and I, I'd be really disappointed if they didn't take a quarterback. I'd, I'd really be disappointed if they, they went in a different direction. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It may just be um, a relative opinion off of what what people are thinking about Lawrence. Who, you know, m- maybe Andrew Luck is probably the, the the equivalent for the for the last guy that was seen at this sort of level. And you know, even Luck, by some measures, wasn't um, you know wasn't the best quarterback in his class, right? If you look at someone like like Russell Wilson. So yeah, there there are a lot of there there are a lot of quarterbacks who are out there now. If we just explore what the other options may be, uh, you could take a player at two right you could take another player it doesn't seem like there's a chase young miles garrett type of player in this in this draft although i'm not a draft nick so i don't really know but those also seem like very difficult to to have value there or you can trade out as what i've also heard people talking about um my issue with that is the jets have like other picks in the first round they have other picks the next year and you have to have someone willing to trade for a quarterback in that situation, I'd, I'd assume, right? So you'd be, you'd be passing on a quarterback when someone else needs a, it decided that one of those quarterbacks is worthy of a number two pick. Yeah, I guess that would be similar to, was it the Browns that? Uh, yeah, the Browns. Did the one year where they, they dropped the out time. from two where yeah. they were going to get Wentz. Uh, or I guess Wentz is the guy they would have ended up with. And, they, you know, they dropped out from that. So I guess it would be a similar situation to that. And yeah, it, you have to find that team that's going to be willing to move up because if it's a, someone's moving up for a non quarterback, you're not going to get the value to really make it that worthwhile. You know, you're just going to upset the fan base at that point, even more because you're passing on a quarterback to drop down, um, you know, a couple spots. Let's say Carolina wanted to jump up 
two or three spots to to move into there. Um, you know, you need to make sure that it's it's a team like that that's going to pick a quarterback to where you, know, you, you can try to get. You know, no one's ever going to get that RG three haul that the uh, the Rams got years ago, but something close to that. You know, you, you're getting two first round picks back and something else. Um, and I, I mean, I, I guess that's a possibility as well uh, that they could do that. Yeah, the question would be. Um... Yeah, I think when you're looking at your charts, right? So everyone has their charts for up at the top of the draft. And typically, those are people drafting a quarterback, so they're going to give more. So then you just can't get. It's really tough to get out of those picks, just just like you mentioned. Now, one of the one of the things to think about with the Jets and what do you think about the roster outside of the quarterback? Because the the theory behind drafting someone there or getting a boatload of picks is that there's so many needs throughout the roster, and it's going to take so long otherwise to turn things around that it may be worth having Darnold hoping for upside and then being able to surround him with so much talent because of the current state of the roster. The roster stinks. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> there, there's no sugarcoating the Jets roster. The Jets roster is a left tackle, a defensive tackle, and maybe a wide receiver, and that's it. I mean, they, they don't have anybody there. So I, I can see why some people would uh, they would think that. Um I just don't know if you can get anywhere with that. Uh, you know, if, if you're looking at, you know, even if you're looking at that long game, because that's a really long game, you're still not going to surround Sam Darnold with talent next year. Um, most of the stuff you're going to get in return, you know, you, you'll drop down a couple of spots this year and you're probably going to pick up another first rounder the year after that. Um, you know, it may be some other picks down the line, depending on how active you are in a trade. I don't think that benefits them now, which means Sam Darnold's still going to look pretty bad. Um, I don't know how attractive they're also going to be in free agency to, you know, attract people to the team. I, I think that's, I think the thing with losing Lawrence is that it probably impacts them in a search for a coach. And I think it impacts them in trying to attract free agents to the team. So you couple that all together. If you trade down and you push off making a lot of these picks until 2022, while still banking on Sam Darnold, I, I, I don't know if you're Joe Douglas, if you're going to see 2023, if you come off another season where you've doubled down on Sam Darnold and you're four and 12 and you still look terrible. Um, so I, I just, I find that one just a hard path to go down. Um, even though, yeah, in theory, they had, do have so many holes. They need a lot of draft picks to kind of fill them up. Um, and just with the, the way the quarterback position is, I, I just can't see how they do it. Now, I read an article today by um, Connor Hughes, who works for The Athletic covering the Jets, and his take was, uh, this is assuming Adam Gaze is gone, which I think is a pretty safe, safe, so. assumption, safe <laughs> assumption at this point. He's done his job oh. all the way until losing the, the number one pick. Um, Frank Gore, though, it's bad for Frank Gore's continuing career, but you know, I'm sure he'll, he'll be okay. Um, so, if, if, so they're going with the coach. His take was, you you let the coach make that decision because that you know I, I don't know if Joe, like again like Joe, for job security purposes I don't know if that's a good idea but what about this theory of alignment and everyone being on the same that's that's the buzzword that's the buzzword now it's between coaches and front offices having alignment which which in a lot of cases now mean, means the coach has the power honestly in these circumstances like Shanahan and and and, and probably going to end up being the case with Rule in in um 
in Carolina, Carolina when they just yeah. when they just got rid of Marty Herney. They're talking alignment, which to me makes makes me think coach is the boss. Basically, is is what alignment means there. So so what about that? Um, what about that aspect? I mean, that, they're going to bring in that, a head coach. That that is an old school philosophy. I mean that that is the, the way a lot of teams are run. We um, you know going back to Shanahan's father. You know that that's that's the way those teams were kind of run. Um, you know, you, you would bring it at that point, your general managers are more either the contract guy or the quote unquote draft Nick, I guess that's just going to help you do some scouting that's there. Um, you know, the Jets need alignment uh, in, in terms of getting their GM and their head coach on the same page. I, I don't know if I'd be in favor of the head coach coming in and just running the whole show. Uh, I, I don't know, based on what Douglas's strengths are supposed to be, um, I don't even know how that would really work out. I'm not sure if he would be even the right GM for that role. You know, it's like, if you're going to go down that path, you almost think the Jets should just be blowing the whole thing up. You bring in that whole culture changer uh, head coach type and have him do what's going to happen in Carolina right now, where basically he's going to go in there and he's going to hire his own GM to help him with the things he doesn't know how to do, or he doesn't want to, you know, bother himself with. Um, That, that would be a, That'd be a kind of a tough one. Um, now the Jets do have a very different structure than other teams when it comes to hiring. They're not going to let the general manager hire the head coach, or at least they they haven't done that in a, a long time. Um, you know, they 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 have it to where basically the head coach is going to answer to the Woody or Chris Johnson, whichever one is going to be in charge, uh, and the GM is going to answer independently to him. And we've pretty much seen it since they fired Tannenbaum. It's just backstabbing in that organization. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how that would uh, how that would play out, but I, I guess I could see the logic in saying you you bring in the coach and you say you're doing everything. Um, you know, here I don't know. It, it just it, the just seems like an odd setup for the the way the Jets have been. So what? Like I said, you you're, you understand the the setup there a little bit better. So how how have they gone about the head coaching search? Because I don't know if I remember much about Adam Gaze other than the fact that. You know, Peyton Manning said something. And yeah. Like, the, okay, the, we'll take the Jets. Uh, is this like a search firm sort of thing going on yeah, there? Or what? Typically, they they end up going to uh, either search firms. You know, that that's how they've gotten a couple of their guys, uh, and they'll also bring in the old executive slash consultant. You know, the Bill Polians, Charlie Casserly's, who, you know, obviously long careers in the NFL. I, I don't know how much of the the pulse of the current NFL those guys kind of have now, um, and part of what happens with them too is you almost get the feeling the last guy that Johnson's talked to on the phone is the one that has the most pull with them. And it's like, Peyton that sounds Manning like gets Jimmy Haslam. The the Jimmy Haslam stories are very similar to that. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's basically what it is, except they just, they don't get fired after one year. You know, they, they have a little bit <laughs> right. of a longer, uh, a little bit of a longer rope before they get fired. Um, but yeah, that's basically what it is. Uh, you know, they, they had Matt rule pretty much, ready to go in New York a couple of, couple of years ago when they hired Gase. And they basically said, well, if you're going to take this job, we want to hire everybody for you. And he was like, oh, I'm not going to have that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. This is a dysfunctional organization. Uh, I'm not going to go down that kind of path at all. And next thing you know, Peyton Manning's like, hey, let me tell you about this Adam Gase guy. He's great. And they trot him in there and I'm just bagging my head against the wall. I'm like, how do you bring this guy in? But that's pretty much how it works. And when they did that hire, you know, Mike McCagnum was still the general manager. And again, when you get into the backstabbing stuff, Gase was able to maneuver himself kind of into power there in just a couple of months. 
And by the time the summer rolled around, they fired the general manager because they, I don't even remember what the excuse was. He wasn't a good organizational fit anymore. He didn't talk with enough of the people and communicate. It's like, where, where was this the last four years? Why don't you get rid of him in free agency? Why don't you get rid of him before the draft? You let him spend all this money and really blow up a lot of the stuff with your salary cap for a short period of time and bring in these draft picks. And then you fire him because Adam Gase said, uh, you probably are better off firing him and hiring somebody else. Um, and that that's pretty much the way that that, that team is gone. And that, that's the way that they, they approach it. So I, I would guess if they do fire Gase, it'll be the same kind of thing. You know, they'll get one of these guys who's got some experience and they'll talk with them and, you know, the GM will have some input on it, but ultimately it's going to be a uh, Johnson's decision based on candidates that come from consultant search firm, whatever. And okay. So let's, I mean, assuming they're bringing the new coach, let's say even that they, that they draft the quarterback, the Jets draft the quarterback who they're looking for. Um, as far as cap space is concerned, I mean, the Jets are right up there near the top. What do you think about the landscape in, in 2021? Cause I mean, now there's talk, uh, there was talk before that the cap may go down to whatever it was, 165, 175. Now it's maybe 195 there for teams like the Jets who have that space. Is this going to be a year for them to go out and, and attack the market? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it, it gives you an opportunity for guys who are looking to make a more of a cash grab than anything else. Um, you can offer them probably a, a better financial outcome than just about any other team. Uh, even if it's just on a one-year contract, you know, you, you can probably front load it in ways that nobody else can do that. Um, so I, I think teams like that, teams like the Jaguars, teams that do have that cap space, um, if they're creative with their sales pitches to these players, um, yeah, I, I think you could have a big advantage in in getting players just because of that. Uh, yeah, as the cap rises, you know, if it comes up closer to 195, it's probably not as much of an advantage for the Jets then because then it's only going to be a couple of teams that are in really bad shape with the cap at that point in time. But if it's 175, yeah, I think those those kind of teams that normally wouldn't get certain players, they're going to have a chance at it. Yeah, I mean, there there's definitely a discount that players are willing to take to go somewhere that they think they're, they can win, so the Jets are not going to be one of those places. Is this going to be a phenomenon that you see a relative attractiveness going up in the middle of the market, at the at the bottom of the market, at the top of the market, is, is or is it not, not really going to segment that way? Uh, I, well, the top of the market's not going to change. You know, the, these guys who are star players, teams are going to find ways to fit them in their cap. If it means paying them a $1 million base salary with a $40 million signing bonus to make the cap hit low, they're going to do that. So nothing is going to happen there. I think all those guys that are in that you know, five to nine, three to nine million dollar a year category. I think those are the players that, you know, they might get pinched a little bit next year. So those are the kind of players I think that the um, teams like the Jets will probably have a little bit more access to uh, when they normally in most years probably would not. Were you surprised that more of the veteran middle market guys weren't cut this season and then seeing if teams could roll that cap in, into next year. I know that was something yeah. I, I thought was going to yep. happen, but it hasn't really happened that much. So I don't know if teams know that they may get a little relief cap wise next year or what, or what the situation is. Yeah. I, I thought more of that would happen. I thought more teams would be proactive with planning for next year. And the only teams really that did it are Dallas and Philadelphia. Those are the only teams that were proactive with doing anything with their contracts really for next year at all. And, you didn't see a lot of players released in the summer. I, I thought there there would be um, maybe partially it was the, you know, their agreements on the COVID stuff didn't come until much later on. Um, 
you know, sometimes who knows, maybe, maybe there was even discussion of that being like, is this, if we get this in place, does this prevent there being the summer bloodbath? And, you know, maybe there was some kind of a silent agreement somewhat about doing some things like that. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, I, I thought that was going to happen more, uh, more this year. I, I thought there was going to be a lot of players that were forced into pay cuts. There was only a handful, you know, really wasn't much more than usual uh, for the summertime pay cuts and not as many players were released as I, I thought would be released either. Yeah, man. Another interesting phenomenon we'll see for 2021, you mentioned the Eagles specifically as someone who has been proactive. I mean, they're one of the handful of teams that are in real trouble uh, from a cap perspective. I guess you could put the Saints probably in that bucket. And I guess the Steelers are probably in that bucket too. Steelers are there and the Falcons. The, those are the four teams that uh, are going to have problems next year. Okay, so what is the least bad way of, of getting out of this this situation because it's probably going to involve some cuts it's probably going to involve some restructures but in that case you may be you may be you know holding on to players who for even longer than their useful life cycle yeah i don't think there really is a good way out of it i mean i think you just look at this and say there's no way anybody could have planned for this you know the the situations wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been ideal but they wouldn't have been atrocious if the cap grew as normal you know the falcons would have been okay the steelers would have been okay it's just the saints and the eagles that really would have been over if the cap you know, it was 215 or 210, like everyone expected it would have been. Um, so I, I think you just chalk it up to that. And I think for the most part, you just do the same kind of stuff that you're doing where, yeah, does it make it harder, harder to release those players in the future? In a sense it does, but you don't really have a lot of other options. So all you're really doing is to just deferring, you know, the, the, the point in time where you're going to have to to put that money, that dead money down, um, on your salary cap anyway, you know, especially if it, you're talking about players with guaranteed salaries. Um, it's not like you can really get out of those guarantees. So you're just deferring it to a time when the cap gets back to normal. Um, you know, on an individual team basis, I mean, the Steelers clearly have a big decision they're going to have to make with Roethlisberger. Uh, you know, he's got a $41 million cap charge next year. Um, last season of his deal. Do you really want to extend him? I, I wouldn't think so. I don't think you want to cut him. Um, I think this is where you start to have those retirement talks and see if you can get an exit a la and Eli Manning or something like that, um, you know, with that kind of team. And then, you know, the Eagles and the Saints. I don't know what the Saints are going to do. The, the Saints just are going to have all kinds of decisions they're going to have to make with that roster. Um, you know, the Eagles, Eagles, I think they probably had a plan that's been really thrown out of whack because the Carson Wentz's fall this year. Uh, they couldn't have expected that in a million years. And it, part of where they're at, they needed to be to be able to restructure Carson Wentz's deal really to, to get the kind of cap flexibility that they, they wanted in the future. And I'm going to guess they'll still do that if they can't find a trade partner. Um, and the state, and I, I don't know what the Saints, <laughs> that's, a, that's a much tougher one. Um, but I think for the most part, you're, you're just going to be kicking money to 2022 for the players that you you know for a fact you want them on your roster in 21. I think you just push it to 22, and if it means more dead money that year, it means more dead money that year. It's just the it's just the reality of the situation, and you just couldn't plan for it. Now, I think part of this phenomenon has been a shift. Well, I don't know if it's a shift in the league, but I've I've heard about it much more where 
you know, you have this this window, this championship window. Now, for some people, like the Saints, it's a longer it's a longer window because of Drew Brees. But they finally have the surrounding talent to really have that window to go all in. Um, often, you saw it being talked about in regards to having this uh, rookie quarterback. While they're on that contract, at the, like a Mitch Trubisky, even though he was Trubisky, he still he had some promise at that point in time. So they said, let's trade for Khalil Mack. Let's let's you know let's push forward there. I think the Rams have done that again. They've kind of doubled down on it with Jalen Ramsey. The Eagles were doing that. So what do you think about this, the, the give and take between trying to maximize out in a short window for a championship, which it seems like a lot of these teams are doing, versus the longer longer time horizon and the tension between those two things? Yeah, I, I kind of like the philosophy kind of going for it. Um, you know, the Bears, the Bears made some really stupid moves, uh, but I, I think their idea of saying, okay, we've got this rookie quarterback, we're going to make a trade for Mac, we're going to be really aggressive. I think that's the right way to approach it. Um, I don't think that you'll, sorry about that. No, I don't think that you can, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's better than going through this process of where you've got this rookie quarterback, for example, and you sit and you wait and you wait and you wait. And then when he finally develops in the fourth year, it's like, okay, well now we can do it. And then you realize just from a budgetary standpoint, oh, wait, this guy's going to cost us $40 million a year now. Now we got to set aside money for that. And then it just, you, you waste too much time. And the way that, the way that teams cycle through players right now, I mean, it's a complete roster turnover within two, three years anyway. So I don't know, other than for a couple positions, I don't think you can really have a big long time horizon. I think everything is in these little three-year windows and it's just how successful your quarterback is in those windows and how you can maneuver their their salaries um, and the cap structure to where you can continue to add to your football team even when those guys are going to make more more money you know the the Mahomes contract nobody else is going to do a deal like that in the NFL but I, I think that's the kind of deal that you look at something like that and you say okay that's that's the right way to approach it if we can find you know any other players to do deals like that um that's the one way that you can get long-term stability at that position. And you know exactly how the numbers are going to play out for such a long period of time um, to where you can really plan out how you're going to build out the rest of that roster. It's completely different than what you see in Houston, where you're talking about a four-year extension to where you have very limited cost certainty because you're only talking about, you know, three years with Watson before someone's going to say, Hey, you got to give him a raise. He wants a new deal. Um, So I, I, I don't know if that's ever going to come to a head. You know, it, it, obviously Dallas tried something like that with Mac Prescott uh, to get that longer term deal. And it led just to the one year franchise tag because they couldn't agree on length. But I, I could see teams trying to push a little bit more on uh, the timeline for those quarterback contracts and seeing what they can do in terms of guarantees or something to make it attractive enough, kind of the way they did with um, Mahomes to get, the players to say yes to the deal, even though for some of them, it wouldn't be in their best interest. And for other players, I mean, it would blow up. I mean, if, if you had Wentz on a 10 year deal, you know, that, that might, that might be really, really bad. You know, uh, if he had the same kind of guarantee structure as Mahomes has, but I, I think that's, you know, that, that's the risk that you take as an organization with the, with the quarterback. Um, and I, I think that's something more teams need to look at in the future. 
You know, the, yeah, the, the Mahomes contract, at least for me, I mean, kind of came out of nowhere as far as the length is concerned there because the talk over the summer was with Deshaun Watson wanting three years, I think, was the talk that he wanted, yeah. which, yep. which which seems kind of ridiculous. You know, he, he wanted three years. Uh, Prescott wanted four years instead of five years. Uh, Wilson took a relatively short-ish sort of deal on his extension. Um, and they were trying to avoid becoming like the Aaron Rodgers of the past where you get this big extension, it lasts for a long time, and then – um, you know, in a blink of an eye, you have inferior quarterbacks who are jumping you in the market. So, like, what what happened with that Mahomes contract? Was this a deal? I don't know. His, his, was... his agent was Stein, Lee Steinberg, right? Is this? Yeah. So, I, I don't like. I don't know what's going on. It seems so against what other agents are trying to do. Was, I, I, I when that deal came down. So yeah, it was out of left field. Like never in a million years would have, I expected that. And yeah, I was getting text messages left and right. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> what what is happening? You know, there, there was craziness when the when the deal first came out and people were talking about these numbers and the length. And next thing you know, I think it was Florio or Schefter. One of them is like, well, I'm sure it's tied to the franchise tag or the, yeah, tied yeah, to the yeah. average of the top play, something like that. I'm like, no, none of these people do these deals with these automatic raises in them anymore. And, you know, then it comes out like a couple hours later. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. And you get the numbers and it's like, you did a $39 million deal and then a $50 million deal, basically two little contracts rolled into one. Um, you know, the only thing I could think of realistically is Lee Steinberg comes from another generation. You know, his, his generation of football really was the 1990s and early 2000s. That, that was his time frame, And that generation, that was the way quarterback contracts were done. It wasn't this race for the most guarantees. It wasn't the race for the um, necessarily the biggest annual value, even it was like, who's going to be the first hundred million dollar quarterback. Um, you know, and you had Brett Favre, you know, was under contract for like 12 years. Donovan McNabb was like a 10 year deal. And that's all I could think of is maybe they, they kind of played back to that whole, you know, this is the face of the franchise, you're building a legacy here that this is more than just gaining money. This is a guy who is looking to become the greatest quarterback of all time. This is the place to do it let's just get this done. You know, let's have him under contract forever so we can build a great team around him. And that's all I can really think of because it, there's no other, there's no other agents right now that would have done that kind of deal. Everything had gone in the other direction. And this was, this was a complete curveball that I, I think caught every single team, every single other agent, just everybody off guard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not on the same level, but I, it kind of reminds me of, um, like you're saying, more of an old school thing, like Magic Johnson in 19, I think it was 1981, he signed a 25-year deal for $25 million, which is just like the worst possible decision you could make in light of what's going on. And I think Watson could end up with more money over the next 10 years than than Mahomes. I'm sure he I'm sure he will. I mean, even if you look at someone like a Kirk Cousins, you know, who's doing that short-term, 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 if you look at who's the highest paid player over like the last three, four years – it's Kirk Cousins because he's constantly going in there and, you know, redoing these contracts at this point. So it's like, okay, I'll do 28 million a year, but if I'm getting back to free agency in two years or three years after that, and you know, the Vikings was open an extension, they're going to front load that deal. Well, now that's going to make me higher paid than all these other guys. So essentially, you know, he, he signed himself a, a much bigger contract by doing it that way. And yeah, Watson's going to end up in that, that same same kind of category because he's going to get right back into free agency in a couple of seasons. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like 
I'm not the biggest fan of some of the moves that Brett Veach has made in Kansas City, like trading and signing um, uh, Frank Clark and Sammy Watkins, continuing to, to bring him back and, and drafting the running back. But he has some magic when it comes to these contract negotiations. I think even even Chris Jones took a pretty good deal relative to what, what would have happened on the market. So he's he's kudos to him there. Um, well, I want to move a little bit down further down the quarterback market. What what is your opinion on these guys? Whether it's the Jimmy G was one after the after the Super Bowl that people were, you know, we should trade, you should get rid of them, and then you should start over. Uh, Goff, you should get rid of them, you should start over. Uh, Wentz, uh, they're saying that about that now, but he's objective. He's, he's you know objectively awful. It, like as, in comparison to those other guys, like what is it about fans that they just want to turn over that position? It seems like at you know twenty in the high twenty million dollars a year or something like that. Yeah, you know, there's no upside to those players. So it's like you, you go around the league and you, you watch the Drew Breeses of the world who year after year are pretty good. You know, you, you watch the, the Mahomes, a whole different level. But, yeah. you know, you, you watch some of these players where the team is successful every year. You know, Aaron Rodgers, teams in Green Bay, pretty successful year after year. And you're basically the, the Matt Staffords of the world. You know, once every four years or so, you have a playoff run in you and that's really it. And I, I think people just get discouraged with the quarterback position because they just don't see the upside there. Um, you know, the, the Garoppolo deal, I, I didn't like that one for a couple of reasons, but a big reason is just there were, there was no body of work to justify and making him the highest paid player at the time. Um, when they did that, you know, it was what five games with San Francisco, three games with new England, maybe. Um, I mean, that, that, that's why they wanted to get away from those old rookie contracts was because there was no body work and they were buying into a top 10 deal. Um, but you know, with, with the guys like a Jared Goff, they're market contracts. I mean, that that's, they are what they are. Um, you know, if it was me running a team, I, I think what more of these teams need to do, and it's hard to do because it's the most criticized moves that there could be is if you get a guy like a Goff and you watch him play and you go, okay, you know, he's decent. All right. He's not really great. He's not awful. Um, I think you have to start looking at the draft at that point in time and saying, you know what, we need to do really what the Eagles just did with Hertz or what the, uh, you know, the Packers did with, um, love bringing him in or what they did years ago with, uh, you know, bringing in Aaron Rodgers. And I know that th those are a little different. Those are quarterbacks that are kind of towards the end of their careers. Um, but I think it's getting that pipeline of talent ready to come in to where when you get to year five on the quarterback or year four on the quarterback, you at least have another option on your roster to where you can say, okay, you know what? We can either commit 35 or $30 million a year to this guy, or we can turn to a rookie, see if we can trade this guy off for picks or whatever. We're going to have a lot more uh, salary cap flexibility in the future to build a better team around them. Nobody's really done that. No, nobody tries to do it. I guess in part because there is no, there's no secondary market for quarterbacks out there either. You know, there was a time where there would be some quarterbacks, I guess, floating around in free agency. And now there's never anybody, you know, no, nobody goes there. It's like you have your starters who are all making, you know, 25 million plus, And then your next level of player is like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, so I, I guess that probably makes it difficult for some teams as well. And, you know, it is that fear of the unknown, um, I guess, turning to a, you know, draft pick, you know, just blindly when you have someone that's decent. Uh, but again, I, I would think if you have someone in your training camp that you're watching in preseason, then you're evaluating every day, you would have a much better idea as to 
you know, how that player can fit in your offense versus paying big money for some of these other players. Well, I guess the question is where you address that in the draft, right? So if you have a team that can't compete, let's say like the Rams, I mean, can you address that even in the late first round? I mean, when the Eagles drafted Hurts, which was in the 50s, I think, so it wasn't at the beginning of the second round, fans were, you know, throwing their arms up and and screaming about about wasting on what is probably not going to be that great of a player anyway at that point in the draft. You could hit, but you're probably not going to hit on that point. So that would be the question is where do you address it? Yeah, it, it's and that's a good question, too, because, you know, again, where you get into where, where are your best prospects, you know, it, really, it's in the top 10 and you're not going to get into the top 10 if you're a decent football team. Um, and yeah, everyone's going to go crazy if you waste one of those picks that, you know, on that player, the way that I kind of look at it, and I know you can't spin it, but the, the way that I look at it is at the worst, you've bought yourself a four year backup. Um, a backup quarterback is going to cost you $4 million or so to, to bring in someone like uh, Matt Schaub or, you know, Matt Schaub's probably $2 million, but, you know, players that are going to cost you 2 to $4 million. Hertz probably is going to cost the Eagles $1.5 million a year. So the way that I look at it is at the worst, you got yourself a backup quarterback that actually has upside versus these old broken down veterans that you probably don't want to ever bring into a game other than for a couple snaps here and there. Um, so that's the way that I would try and spin it. Of course, every, you know, on the radio and, you know, online, everyone's going to kill you for it. I mean, the, the Hertz thing was, I mean, it was crazy. Now, of course, everyone's like in love because it was two, he's got two decent games under his belt. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think more teams have to try to do that. And I think what would happen is if you ever have one team or two teams where it does work out for them to where, you know, if, if Dallas, for example, had drafted somebody two years ago, I'm not sure if there's anyone that would have been there, but let's say they took somebody two years ago and where they could have turned around and said, all right, you know what? We're going to put the franchise tag on Dak Prescott and we're going to trade him. We're going to get two first round picks back for trading him to another team. And we're ready to hand it off to this guy. And this guy comes in and gets into the playoffs. I think then you'd see more teams start to think about doing it. But I think until a team is really successful doing it with, the young quarterback trade-off versus the, you know, Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes and Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers kind of bit. Um, I, I guess you won't see it, but I, I think you need one or two teams to just get successful and just, you know, give it a shot and be successful with it. Uh, and then you might be able to spin it, you know, a lot better, but yeah, someone's going to, someone's going to do it and they're, they're just going to get annihilated for it and possibly lose a job. Who knows? Well, I guess part of this is like is the contracts too for these starters, right? I mean, a lot of them have this dead money, have a ton of dead money on it. So it's it's a situation where if you hit on this backup, then you're like then you're in this Carson Wentz type of situation where you're going to have to take a thirty five million dollar cap hit in order to to trade him away. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I think teams were very um, against doing that in the past. They're starting to warm up maybe a little bit to the sunk cost uh, issue of it. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, um, you know, it, part of that too is now the, the, the contracts have gone up for the quarterbacks, but the salary cap has risen um, much faster than salary growth at pretty much any other position. Uh, you know, quarterback is kept up and there's a couple other ones who have as well. But for the most part, uh, most positions lag the salary cap growth by a lot. So I think teams look at this now and say, you know what, we could deal with a $25 million cap hit for a player. It doesn't look great, 
but in terms of the percentage of the overall cap space they have to spend, it's really not that much different than, you know, what maybe would have been an $8 million, $10 million hit, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, so I, I think that also plays a role in it as well, is that teams just have more more money, I guess, at, at their disposal than usual. Yeah, ne next year notwithstanding, that that's, you know, again, different kind of year, but in general, I think more and more teams are finding themselves to have more and more money um, that they can use uh, in structuring these contracts than they ever had before. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I'll be interested to see what the quarterback market looks like this offseason because even this year, um, teams have been much more successful in the draft, drafting quarterbacks in the recent years than they have been in the past. I mean, you had, you know, Andy Dalton go as a backup somewhere, Cam Newton goes a backup somewhere, Sam Darnold probably moving from one place to another Carson Wentz maybe moving from another. so there there does seem to be a little bit of a of a of a market and free agency I mean maybe not enough to really to, to take a risk on because you still had teams like like the the Bears trading to get someone like like Nick Foles rather than wait around to see who's gonna be left yeah and the chairs you know away. I, I think what happened with the Bears too you know the, the one that really threw me off was Winston I never expected Winston to to go for just a million um you know, there, there's a range of outcomes I could have come up with for him. Nothing ever, ever, ever would have come close to that. I don't think in the Bears case, they thought there was really going to be access to some of these other guys who were available. Uh, I think they thought that the cost was going to be much higher. Um, you know, if Winston even comes in around 20, which, you know, that's where Bridgewater comes in. That, that's the logical landing spot for him, 2022, 20, 23. They probably can't fit that. So I'm sure they looked at that and said, okay, well, we've got this Foles guy and he's willing to restructure his deal to do, you know, 6 million bucks a year or something like that. We, we can fit that in without a problem. That's going to be our best option because we can't afford any of these other guys. And I, I think that was kind of what happened. And I, I think everything else was, for me, at least it, it caught me off guard. You know, the Winston really, um, you know, sitting around until June basically as a free agent, Cam Newton, I knew Cam wasn't going to go for what some people thought once he got cut. But again, I didn't expect him to go for a million bucks. I figured at least you're looking at $10 million, $8 million, you know, for somebody like that. Um, to start so, also. So that's, I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not even like he was going in a place to compete. I mean, it was just, they brought him in and then you knew he was going to be the starter as long as his arm was capable of doing anything. Um so, you know, may, maybe that changes the equation a little bit for some teams. Maybe maybe they're going to look at this and say that, you know, there are going to be more options out there in the near future that they can take a gamble on rather than having to go the, you know, the Foles route in a trade or some of these other players in a trade. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if last year is just going to prove to be unique. I have, I have no idea. But th those couple of contracts really caught me off guard completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of forgot about Winston there, and then I don't know. Depending upon how this season ends, maybe even Marcus Mariota. I know he's got another year left with the Raiders, but I mean that's a ten million dollar deal, so they could at least trade him if they wanted to keep Carr or trade Carr if they wanted to go with with Mariota. Yeah, they have yeah, some, I would, they have some stuff there too. Yep, yeah, I would think one of those quarterbacks is probably going to go next year. You know, they'll, they'll see what they can uh, what they can get in a trade for one of the two. I don't think they'll release either of them. Uh, but I, I think you explore the market to see what's there, especially because they're, they're another team. Now they have a lot of salary cap flexibility, but right now they project to be over the cap as well. And obviously they have a lot of holes on that team to fill. 
Um, so, you know, if they can keep Mariota next year for 10 or $12 million cap hit, plus, you know, incentives that he can earn if he starts um, versus Carr, who's, you know, probably 25, $26 million. Um, I, I could at least see maybe the, some of the logic in doing that. Um, and if you trade Mariota and you can even just get a second round pick for him, that that's worth it. Um, you know, to do that, to try to, to rebuild what's just a terrible defense and, you know, really a lot of holes on that offense, even though they've, they've played okay at times. Now, one other position that I wanted to ask you about, a position I want to ask you about is that um, really the edge rusher and the defensive line, because we, we talked about how a lot of salaries haven't really gone up dramatically. Now, these deals that we saw, maybe not Garrett as much as the deal that we saw for, for Joey Bosa. I mean, that's a $27 million a year deal. I mean, that's that's big. It, it, it It's starting to make me think for, you know, drafting, like they drafted Nick Bosa in San Francisco and then Chase Young and these other guys. Like, are you going to be able to to have one of these guys on your, on your team, if you don't have a rookie contract or substantial salary relief somewhere else, it it just, I was blown away by the Bosa contract. Yeah. Because now see, this is, this has dramatically changed the market and, you know, it took a long time for the, these guys to really get to 20, you know, Mac got there and, you know, it still took a little bit of time before the other guys kind of broke through. You're going to be at $30 million for TJ Watt in the blink of an eye. I mean, it's, a lot if once we get to that level and it's so high i i don't know i'm not sure if you can really pair that with a veteran quarterback i mean if you do that you really have to cut costs somewhere else and i don't know if that's worth it to do um so i i would think teams are going to have to reevaluate that a little bit uh you know again this might be something where you talk about having talent kind of in the pipeline you know if you if you draft a you know, a rusher, you know, with your number one pick in 2021, you know, maybe you should be looking in 2023 to do the same this way. Again, when that contract situation comes up, you know, you can always find a team like the bears. You can, you can find that team where you can get two first round picks probably for a guy that you're going to pay $30 million to. Um, and to me, that would be worth it, especially if you had somebody else in your roster that you already know can sack the quarterback um, who's a lot cheaper, but yeah, I, I think they're really going to have to, you know, think about those things, even just in terms of just positional values, when you had all your pass rushers between 18 and say $20 million and all your corner, your top cornerbacks are 15 million. It's like, okay, that, that's a legitimate debate you can have. There's about $5 million separating them. If I can get two cornerbacks for $15 million for the cost of one pass rusher, uh, that makes a, a lot more sense to me, I think, than just going with the one guy on the on the defensive line uh, because the, the disparity in salary is so big. Um, I, I think it really needs, it, it might change the way some of these teams start to build a little bit um, if those salaries really continue to escalate like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for the cornerbacks, it's probably you probably need more than one good one a lot of the times now in the NFL. So maybe that would be a reason is depressing their salaries a little bit. Um, you know, I guess there are guys like Jalen Ramsey who maybe you can build around a little bit better and they can justify it. But I think that's, that's difficult to to play out. Um, I guess we'll hit running back contracts. Cause we have to, we have to talk about running backs and whether they matter or not, but obviously I, I think you're in agree. I mean, I've heard you talk about this you're kind of with the idea that re-signing these guys, our guy is the special guy. Our guy, you know, I know it didn't yeah. work for those 17 guys before, but yeah. for our, but our, our, our guy, guy's the one, <laughs> our guy's the one like that thinking isn't going to work. But my, my question is, 
Okay, so I, I've been I've been looking at this Chubb contract. What's going to happen with Nick Chubb in Cleveland? Only because I have the opinion that you know these guys are forward thinking guys that that have come in there. They didn't draft him. Dorsey drafted him. They came in. They brought in Cream Hunt. They extended Cream Hunt. Um, Nick Chubb is now three years into his four year second second round contract. What can you do though? Like even if you even if you you say I'm not going to sign this guy, is there a viable alternative other than saying you know what I'm going to write out the value in this contract and then let him go? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I I, you know once in a blue moon you can probably find a trade partner. Um, You got to find the right kind of organization that that has that kind of uh, you know the the older school I guess general manager older school philosophy. You know the Dave Gettleman. You got to find a sucker. You you find. Yeah, you know, you find someone like that and they're maybe willing to to make that trade for him. But there's not going to be much of a market because even if you look at free agency, none of these running backs who go to free agency, other than Bell, who found, you know, the big sucker in the Jets, they don't make out nearly as well. You know, you look at Gordon last year going into free agency and ended up two years, eight million bucks a year when he was turning down. I think it was 10 million a year from uh, the Chargers because he thought it wasn't enough, um, you know, based on what other players had done. Uh, even when you go back to the, the DeMarco Murray era and the, those players, they hit free agency off. He probably had 1,800 yards that year. Um, you know, people were talking about him, you know, reaching Adrian Peterson money at the time. And, you know, he had to go sign with the Eagles for $8 million or so a year and, um, you know, ends up being traded after one season. Uh, so I, I don't think there's much of a market. I, I think the only thing that you can do, you know, yeah, you try and ride those players out. And if you want to keep them, um, I think you just have to paint a picture to their agents that's just as realistic as possible, which is, hey, look, this is a list of all the players who've gone to free agency. If you want to if you want to take this to free agency, go right ahead. You're going to get a, a worse deal than, you know, what we're giving you. You know, if, if you want to do that out of, you know, pride or some sense of, you know, I, just some sense of whatever, because of what everyone everyone else has done, that's a mistake. You know, you go right ahead and you do that. But the best offer that we can give you is $10 million a year. That's more than you're going to get anywhere else. You know, take it or leave it. And I, I think that's what they have to do instead of, you know, the, the what they've done now. You know, there's been a couple exceptions. I mean, the Kamara deal is nowhere near as big as it actually is stated to be because they just put as much money as possible in that final year of the contract to, to boost the annual value. So when it got reported, it would be reported like it was an Ezekiel Elliott kind of contract. So, I mean, that, that's another thing that you can do to kind of bridge that divide if you want to, you know, just throw in a year where, you know, the player's never going to see it. Um, but otherwise, I mean, you got to keep your flexibility with cutting the players and moving on and not having that kind of money sunk in them because it just doesn't work out. There's no, there's no example that's there that is like a meaningful running back in the last I don't know, 15 years, 20 years. I, I'm not even sure how, how much it would be. I mean, Peterson had a long career in Minnesota. I don't think any of the success that Minnesota had in the, the years where they came close, you would say, yeah, that was all Adrian Peterson. Um, so I, I, I'm not even sure what the example would be. You know, usually it's like a, a one year, they have a crazy season, like a Chris Johnson or something like that. You know, David Johnson in Arizona, the one year where maybe you can kind of try to convince yourself that's that's the guy that makes it work and it just never happens again you know and it's not even like they come close to the career years it's just usually it's just over you know there's just nothing there that's a uh, positive um so i don't know I, I don't know why teams continue to do it it doesn't make any sense to me at all 
Uh, and yeah, if Cleveland, um, you know, if Cleveland is smart, um, you know, if they really take a forward thinking approach, I think that's what they have to do. They, they take it, leave it, give a reasonable, you know, whatever that reasonable number is that they, they can deal with and say, that's what you can have. Otherwise, you know, we'll, you know, maybe we'll play it twice a year if you go sign with, uh, you know, the Ravens or someone like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess officially Henry's on his new deal, so maybe people will point to that and, you know, his his season, despite the fact that Tannehill's playing pretty well, and that, that has a lot to do with, with how successful yeah, they're being there. I, and I mean, I, I like, uh, you know, I like watching Henry play. I mean, he's fun to watch. He, uh, you know, he's, he's like a freight train going out there sometimes, and when he gets, you know, in the open field and gets moving, I mean, he's a, he's a fun player to watch. Um, you know, and if he, he happens to get four years or three years out of that contract, you know, that that's wonderful. Maybe, yeah, then maybe he'll be the one guy. But even now, e- even if you want to look at this and say, okay, this is the one, well, yeah, it's still, they could have just had him for this year on the franchise tag. If things fall apart next year, you start to question it. And it's like, oh, you know, why did we do this? You know, why, why did we get into this for longer than we really had to? Then I think that's really when you have to really start looking at the time frame is when it gets past that option year slash franchise year period um, to see really how the play goes. All right. Well, Jason, thanks so much for your time. I know we've, we've covered a lot here. Maybe I'll, I'll ask you one last question. I have to know sure. as someone who's been a Jets fan for so long, I don't know if you know, uh, Eric eager here at PFF. But oh, yeah, I know. Eric. Yep. Yeah. So, so he was, uh, he still is, in my opinion, a Vikings fan. But then he kind of developed this Chiefs fandom. Yes, and now the, the he's, Chiefs fandom. Yes. Now he's pretending to be a Chiefs fan. So I have to know, as a Jets fan, you have to have like a backup fandom or something. Like you have to have a mistress, basically, a, a no, team mistress on really. the side. Or are you really, you really committed to to the to this? Jets now it, it's pretty much just the Jets. The the other <laughs> stuff that really is there with the teams is just. Uh, you know, as you, as you meet more people throughout the league, you just kind of like, Oh, you know, my, my buddy works there. I hope they, I hope they have a good season. You know, if, uh, if the jets don't make the playoffs and the jets never make the playoffs. So, you know, I'll <laughs> maybe choose one or two teams from there. It's like, Oh, well, I know a couple guys there, you know, so I, I'd like it if they did well, cause that, that would help them out. But otherwise that that's pretty much all, all that it is. It's not uh, anything else. The jets are the only team that, I'll sit there and suffer through and <laughs> deal with them year after year. And uh, yeah, I, I can't make myself try to get happy by finding another team being like, yeah, you know, now I'm a, now I'm a, a Seahawks fan because they, they, they might win this year. I, I can't right. do that. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, no, I, I haven't gone that route. Well, the, the, the dedication, the commitment there is admirable. I'll, I'll give that to you. Uh, once again, everyone admirable there, or stupid. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a thin line between the two. Um, so everyone follow Jason. Like I mentioned on again, on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, listen to his podcast. Uh, thanks so much for the time, man. And, uh, enjoy, enjoy not having to worry about, you know, having to deal with a, a team during the playoffs. You can just, you know, you can hang out, you can do whatever. You have free time during the holidays. Uh, we'll, we'll focus on some DFS games or something. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs>